live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Beautiful morning. The sun is out. The sky is blue. And for Car Flag Nation, the flags are flapping beautifully in the wind. If you go out on any of the L.A. freeways right now, it is a sight to behold. Purple and gold flags majestically flapping in the wind. As far as the eye can see, I see nothing but car flags. There's no way around it. I can't put this strongly enough. That was an enormous, massive, epic, gigantic win for the Lakers last night. It was. However, car flaggers, you got to admit, it got sweaty up in there for a minute, did it not? Butts got tight. Buttocks. There was definitely some buttocks puckering going on. Made your butthole pucker up. It did. It made every butthole pucker up as it relates to the Lake Show. They had a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter, and they let it all get away. By the time Steph Curry tied that game up, you know the car flaggers were already running back out to the garage or the car on the street to rip their flags back down after Steph did this. They wanted to switch. They wanted to get Russell on him, and they got it. Reset. Curry. Down it goes again. We are tied at 112. The magic of Stephen Curry. The magic of Stephen Curry. The magic of Stephen Curry. Even if it essentially took three quarters to see any of that magic last night. Look, I'll be the first to admit, that was not the greatest Steph performance ever. Sunday might have been. Last night, definitely not in that conversation. It looked more like one of the more gassed Steph performances ever. It looked like the dude was still trying to catch his breath from snatching Sacramento souls on Sunday. But all of that said... When it came to crunch time, the magic of Stephen Curry did return, which is why I can't believe that he did not get the last shot. After Steph led that crazy 14-0 run to come all the way back to tie it, the last shot went to Jordan Poole. Shot clock is off. Warriors down three. Curry double team. Jordan Poole lets it fly. No. Schroeder clock ticks and finally a whistle comes and it's going to be a timeout Lakers so I could spend the entire opening block on that last sequence let's get into that if we could for a minute I understand the Lakers did a great job of trapping Steph they did so he did what he was supposed to do in that situation he got the ball out Draymond Green did what he was supposed to do in that situation he moved the ball quickly to the open man the open man, Poole, did what he was supposed to do. Take the wide-ass open shot. All fine until he missed. And while the Warriors will all say that they're good with Poole taking that shot in that situation, I'm just going to say I'm not as good with it as they are. Yes, the guy had a much better night shooting it than he did any night against Sacramento when he really couldn't make a shot. But that's just not the shot that I'm looking for in that situation if I'm the dubs. Of course, not with the magic of Stephen Curry flowing. Not with Klay Thompson standing in the corner. Not with nine-plus seconds left on the clock and two Warrior timeouts left in their back pocket. I mean, how ironic is that? 
Ionic. Thank you, Crazy Tourette's. How ionic is that? In the last series, Steph called a timeout that he did not have. Then last night, the Dubs did not call a timeout that they needed that they did have. So they settle for a shot that the Lakers had to like way more than Golden State did, no matter how much they tell you they like that shot. Listen, I'm not saying that it was the worst shot ever or the worst look ever or the worst decision ever. It was an open look. The guy was wide ass open, 28 feet from the basket. Of course, there was a reason why Jordan Bull was wide ass open. Because that's the shot that the Lakers not only can live with, but that they want the Warriors to take. They were hyped. They were ecstatic that Poole didn't hesitate and let it fly. As Stan Van Gundy pointed out on the broadcast, it was ABC time for the Lakers. Anyone but Curry. At that point in the game when you're playing the Golden State, Brian, it's ABC. Anyone but Curry. A B C A always B B C close. A B C A anyone B but C Curry. Well said, Stanley. Well said. Except Poole was wide open. I can't deny that. So open, in fact, that the best contest on that potential game-winning shot didn't even come from a Laker player. It came from the Laker coach. It came from Darvin Ham. You see this dude. You see this dude get a hand up on Poole. Darvin was channeling his inner Mike Tomlin. He took a full step onto the court, had his arm up, and his hand extended. I actually thought for a second he was going to foul this guy. Heady play by the coach because Darvin knew exactly what would happen if that ball did go in. And the Lakers did complete that total gag job and lose that game after having a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter. Bah, 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 bah. Well, bah, this playoff game is hard, dog. Darvin contested that shot like his own ass was on the line if it went down. Because his own ass was on the line if it went down. Deham got lucky. In the end, he got away with it. And I mean all of it. The shot contest, the 14-0 run, the near choke job. I mean, you really shouldn't win any game where you blow a 14-point lead in the fourth by giving up a 14-0 run in crunch time. By the same token... Golden State should not lose any game where they make 15 more threes than their opponent opponent did. And that really happened. How did that happen? I don't know. But here we are. Here Here the bleep we are. And by the way, Car Flag Nation, you know who you have to thank for it. Anthony freaking Street Clothes Davis. Anthony Street Clothes Davis. The dude is either an A or... Or an F, except last night he was an A+. 30-23, and 23, five dimes, four blocks from the brow. And this guy was straight up dominant on both ends of the floor. Cleaned up the glass, protected the rim, got his offense, or got his offensively. And frankly, was just the best player on the floor. He was, bottom line, best player on the floor. I'll give you another bottom line. As great as LeCap still is at 38. A healthy LeCap is not even the difference maker that a healthy AD is right now, and LeCap knows it. 
Why do you think he went so far out of his way to hype AD after the game? Like, LeCap is still a top 10 player when healthy. LeCap is still a legend. But AD, when healthy, is a top five player in the league. I could even argue, when healthy, and doing what he did last night, he's every bit in that conversation with the big three who were in the running for the MVP. And yes, I said it. Last night, AD, last night's AD is that good. As good as anybody in the league. I said that too. And if that version continues to show up, and that guy can stay on the floor and give them that, the Warriors are not beating the Lakers. Hell, nobody's going to beat the Lakers if that AD keeps showing up. You know, all that street close smack is fair. But when he's right, and he's out there, and this dude's going 20-20, and 20, or better yet, 30-20 and 20, like he did last night, he is the ultimate game changer on both ends. When he's playing like that, he is flat-out dominant, and he can lead them to a ring. If this guy continues to show up like that, and I know it's an if, but by the way, he did play this year and was a lot more durable this year and did not miss nearly as much action this year. If this guy continues to show up like that, and he's that good when he's right, they may be the team to beat. The question is, can he stay on the floor and keep doing what he did last night? That's always the question, which to be close. Nobody ever questioned his greatness, just his durability and his reliability. And to his credit, he has been available, especially of late, especially last night when he played all 24 minutes in the second half when it looked like LeCap and the Lakers were going to gas out. And when they did hold on, and they did finish, and they did rip the home floor, spicy street clothes came out. Do you feel like you're proving people wrong, or does that matter to you? Uh, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care what no one thinks. Uh, only, you know, the guys in the locker room, coaching staff, uh, it's only opinions that I care about. Um, other than that, I just go out and play basketball, try to do what I can do to help the team win. Opinions outside the locker room, uh, what guys say, guys think. You know, it's, it's irrelevant to me. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. Other than that, I just go out and play basketball, try to do what I can do to help the team win. Opinions outside the locker room, um, what guys say, guys think, you know, is, is irrelevant to me. I mean, I want to say love to see it. Love to hear it. <laughs> love to see that energy. Love to see, see spicy street clothes. Got to see a little edge from this guy. Love to see this dude making it through. You know what I'd really like to see? I'd love to see this dude make it through a series without shattering into a million pieces. But I do love to see this guy logging heavy minutes in a massive win last night. What I'm saying is love to see this dude be the dude that he is supposed to be and the guy they need him to be a top five player, and the best player on the floor. Because that dude makes them a legitimate title contender, if not the team to beat. He's that good. 
And no, I'm not flip-flopping, and I'm not being one of those guys who's like going, hot take on this today, and it doesn't matter if I'm wrong. I'll just hot take something else tomorrow. I'm giving this guy's due credit. When this guy's right and this guy's on the floor, he is unstoppable and as good as anybody in the league. Now, you want to talk about another big winner. Another big winner from last night. Got to be Rob Lowe. Not the real Rob Lowe. Just got to give it to that guy, man. He still looks good, doesn't he? Damn, Lowe looks good. They actually both look great. The real Lowe and Rob Lowe Palenka. That's why they split screen them. That's why they meme them. They both look great. I got to give it up, though, to Lowe Palenka. They split screen them. But I got to say, I think I'm actually higher higher on low Palenka than the original low, and I'm big on the original low. I mean, again, like AD, I'm not sure there's anybody doing their job better than low Palenka right now, and yes, I said that too. The best thing this guy did was stop listening to the GM and his guys and his personal team. V in the fees, dude, Pastinka. Raw Pastinka actually did a hell of a job once he told the GM to stop telling him how to do his job. Once he told the GM to just let him do his job. Once he told the GM, you do your job, the GM, and I'll do mine. This is why the Lakers are in the position that they're in right now with a legitimate look at the hardware. Because Palenka got the GM to stand the hell down. And then, yes, you. And then made some great moves at the deadline. Without that, we're not having this conversation. And this dude didn't just build a roster that works. He did it on the fly, at the deadline, with limited cap space and limited options. Contrast that with the GM, who had years, years, to build the purple and gold Titanic only to have it crack in half and sink to the bottom of the ocean. And it's long gone and forgotten. I mean, Legium's brilliant idea, even at the deadline, was to add Kyrie Irving. Remember Legium actually saying he was, quote, disappointed on not being able to land such a talent, end of quote? He really said that, which is why it's a damn good thing that Rob Lopalenka ripped the GM responsibilities back from the GM because it saved their season. There is no playoff slugfest with the dubs if Rob Lowe does not reshuffle that deck like a damn mastermind, but he did. And now this is what we have, an epic all-time playoff slugfest, potentially, that honestly, it's kind of weird. I'm watching this last night and I'm thinking, this is so damn surreal. Like, it's so weird and so awesome and so surreal. How have we not had more of this over the years? Really weird and surreal and awesome. And Car Flag Nation just ripped home court. You know, one last thought, too. I told you it was a long monster block. I'm looking for some of you to react to this. 1-800-636-8686. Maybe if my other guy, Mike Brown, had played some perimeter defense like Darvin Ham, the Kings might be in the semifinals. But I know most of you still want to kill Jordan Poole for taking that shot. Listen, the shot was fine. It wasn't like he was one of eight from beyond the arc like LeBron. The guy did make six threes last night. 
You make it sound like he was behind the logo. But don't take it from me. Ask his coach, Steve Kerr. I thought Jordan did a really good job. Um, <clears throat> I had the timeouts left, but I saw them double-teaming Steph at, uh, at half court. So I knew somebody was going to be wide open if we could just get the ball uh, out. And Steph did a great job. He got the ball uh, out of the trap, and um, Jordan was wide open. And, and uh, pretty good look. And, um, you know, that's, that's a shot he can hit. So really, um, you know, happy with that possession. And, uh, and again, this, you know, Jordan had hit six threes already. So um, it's a great shot for us. So, quote, a great shot for us. You know, if Steve Kerr is happy with that, then who am I to question that? It's a great shot. If Steve Kerr is happy with that, then everybody should be too. Yeah, right, Rome. The hell is he supposed to say? That he hated the shot? That he hates pool? That he wished that Draymond slugged him right after the ball left his hand? Steve Kerr is one of the best coaches and leaders in all of sports. Of course he's going to say, we trust our guy and we will live and die with that guy and we win and lose as a team. I'd say the same thing if I were him. Just as I know that every last one of them do not want that guy taking that shot in that situation. Even if he had made six threes, they had timeouts. It's a great shot for us. Great opening game. What do you think? 1-800-636-8686. Looks like it might be a long series. Can LeBron sustain it? AD, can you stop this guy? But can you count on this guy to keep being out there and keep doing that? Because, again, if he keeps going out there and he keeps doing that, they may all of a sudden go from being a playing team to the team to beat. He's that good. Nobody ever said the guy was that good when he's right. He's just often not right, but he is now. U.S. Cellular has some great news, especially for you, person listening to this podcast. Right now, you can get one line with unlimited data for just $29.99. So, unlike other cell networks, you won't have to pay for lines you don't need just to get a good price. Get one line for $29.99 with unlimited data today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms do apply. Visit uscellular.com for details. V, what's going on, dude? Shaquille Romeal. Oh, it's a beautiful morning. Beautiful morning. Don't want to say I saw this coming like I had a pair of binoculars, but I did see this coming. Now, wait, hold on. I'm not going to get like my right-hand man, Pee Wee Herman in the movies with it. But it's only one game, and we got a long way to go. But my boy AD went from always damaged to another domination. And this Lakers defense is the best defense left in the playoffs for all you clones who haven't been watching the trade deadline. It's the best defense. Vando locked up Curry. And, man, what a trade by Rob Klinka. You see my boy D'Lo in the third, hitting those big-time shots, getting us out the mud like DK Mudcalf. And I got to take my boy Darvin Ham and that forehead zit that distracted Jordan Poole from taking that shot. Hey, but let me talk to you directly, Jordan Poole. You're going to get a lot of hate today. I thought that was a great shot. Keep shooting those. You need to take the ball out of Steph Curry's hands and shoot the ball in those big moments. The only dumb thing about that shot is you were too close to the three-point line. Take a few steps back and pull those deep threes. We need more of those. The deeper, the better. People have been glossing him, Jordan Poulter, for blowing the game hard on that shot. Don't listen to that, Jordan. I thought it was a beautiful shot. Keep pulling it. 
Hey, Romy, still skidding. I got to go back to work. I'm an online karate instructor. I want to say Lakers in five. Out. My man, rack him, fee in the fee. The thing about that is he actually has been saying all these things. We are joined by Michael Malone. Michael, it is great to have you on, as always. How you doing, Michael? Hey, Jim, always great to be on with you as well. And I got to be honest, man, you got me fired up. So thanks for having me on. That's what you do for me, Coach. I'm really happy to hear your voice, especially this time of year. So 53 regular season wins, 6-1 and one in the postseason, the only loss coming in overtime. I get, Michael, how much work there still is to be done. But how do you feel about the group right now and how they're playing? Oh, I love our group right now. You know, um, you know, we were in first place in the Western Conference for over 100 days, and I feel towards the end of the regular season, um, I think our guys were just so excited and so looking forward to the postseason. And once we got here, we got back to playing Denver Nugget basketball. Uh, our guys are locked in. They're disciplined. They're playing with tremendous urgency. And we all understand that with the group that we have and finally being healthy, having a Jamal Murray back, having a Michael Porter Jr. back, that allows us to be the best version of ourselves. And so far, things are going very well. But as you mentioned, Jim, we understand we're going to Phoenix up 2-0. We haven't done anything yet. We have a lot of work in front of us. But uh, I'm so proud of our guys for the effort and uh, the performances that they put in at this point. Nuggets head coach Michael Malone joining us. You know, Michael, that point about you finally, finally being healthy, that is so key. It's got to feel great. Like, for instance, you mentioned Jamal Murray. He went off for 34 in Saturday's win. That prompted Nikola Jokic to call Murray, quote, your best player so far in the playoffs. Let's just stay on that for a minute. Giving everything that Murray has gone through the last couple of years, fighting through that knee injury, what's it like for you to see him back playing at the level he's playing at and doing it on the big stage? Well, for me, it's two things. One, on a personal level, just a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, pride. You know, everything Jamal's gone through since suffering that ACL injury at Golden State over two years ago. And for him to make that long journey back, uh, and we all know when you have a kind of long rehab like that, there are a lot of dark days. And so for Jamal to, you know, just stay with it and, and keep on fighting all the way through the regular season and to get back to this point, I'm just so happy for him knowing everything he's gone through. And then from a basketball standpoint, what it means to our team, you know, Nikola Jokic is a two-time MVP, one of the best players in the world. But no one can do it themselves, Jim. Everybody needs help. And Jamal Murray, the way he's playing right now, in seven playoff games, he's averaging 26 points a game, five rebounds, seven assists, and shooting the ball lights out. So he makes us so much better. And him and Nicola, as we saw the end of game two the other night, their two-man game, in my opinion, is one of the best two-man games in recent memory. We are talking to Michael Malone. I agree. And you mentioned Jokic. He had another huge season. In fact, Michael, he averaged more points this year than he did last year when he won his second MVP award in a row. He has the best shooting percentage of his career this year. I'm curious, how different is he now than he was even a year ago when he was going back-to-back with the MVP? Well, I think what the great thing for us has been, you know, um, it hasn't had to be Nikola Jokic every night every possession, you know, uh, that, that, that can wear you down. And having Jamal and Michael bringing upon KCP, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, adding a guy in free agency like Bruce Brown, you know, I think you got to give credit to Calvin Booth, our general manager, I think has done a great job in terms of helping transform this team and allowing us to be in the position that we're in. Uh, so Nicole has got help around him, where it's not him every night wearing that Superman cape. Uh, he, 
Nikola continues to find ways to get better. And, uh, you know, he had another outstanding season. Um, he's, he's growing, he's maturing, he's being even more of a leader. And when he uses his voice, that is so impactful to our group. And, uh, you know, I can't say enough great things about his play. And I just marvel at the consistency in which he plays. As you mentioned last game, 39 points, 16 rebounds, five assists, and, uh, he helps us go up 2-0 against the Phoenix Suns. Michael Malone is joining us. So, Michael, he had a great, great year. Joel Embiid was announced as the MVP winner last night. In your opinion, did the voters get that one right, or should your guy have won a third in a row? You know, I, I have to congratulate Joel Embiid. You know, uh, it, we knew it was going to be a very close race, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for Joel. I've been around him uh, with the M- NBA basketball at Borders Camp in Africa. I coached him this year in Salt Lake City in the All-Star Game. And um, on top of being a great player, I really like Joel Embiid, the person, the human being. So he had an amazing year, led the NBA in scoring two years in a row. And, you know, I I can't criticize anybody. I I thought this year, Jim, to be very honest, I thought the MVP um, dialogue got really nasty and really ugly. And everybody was just trying to tear people down and accuse Nicola of stat padding. There was a racial, all these components. Just give it to the best player. And if you think Joel Embiid's the best player, then vote for your guy. And he won it, so congratulations to Joel. I know I speak for everybody here, not just within the Nuggets organization, but Nuggets fans around the world, that we all know that in our eyes, Nicole Jokic is the MVP, and that's not going to change anytime soon. Much respect, and I've got great appreciation, Michael, for that response. Thank you very much for that. Now, going back to Michael Porter Jr., who you mentioned a couple of times, if anybody, Michael, can relate to grinding through mental and physical anguish and everything that comes along with the injuries, it's this guy. He's come back from back surgeries, all sorts of adversity. In addition to another guy who can create and get his own, what does his tenacity and perseverance mean to your team? Well, I mean, having a healthy Michael Porter, um, and, and I have to give Michael so much credit in terms of the strides he has made this year, the improvements he has made on the defensive end of the floor, using his seven-foot wingspan, really buying in and committing to being the best defensive player that he can be on a night-to-night basis, and then offensively learning to play, okay, hey, we got Jamal back. We've added Contavious Caldwell-Pope. How do I find my game and my shots and my rhythm, but also learn how to play without the basketball? And I think Michael deserves a ton of credit because – He's really done a really good job of that throughout the season, Jim. I have to, in this current series that we're in against Phoenix, I have to help Michael Porter. I have to help get him going. He was outstanding in the first round against Minnesota. Phoenix is doing a good job at the moment of kind of taking him out of the game a little bit. So it's upon me as his head coach and his teammates to find ways to free Michael up because when he shoots the ball, I think it's going in every time. And the thing he's added this season is not just a pretty jump shooter. He's got the ability to put the ball on the floor, get to the basket, attack the rim, and put pressure on the opposing defense. So having him back, uh, the size, the shooting, the rebounding, and just the commitment he's shown has been so important to our group. Talking to Michael Malone for a couple of more moments. You know, Michael, speaking of overcoming injury and tenacity and grit, my guy, that was some gash that you suffered as a result of that pickleball <laughs> incident 
Michael, listen, sometimes the team has to protect the guy from himself. Have you given any consideration to head coach load management? Because as you know, ability is your availability is your best ability, and they have to have you for the postseason. That is a great point. Somebody told me the other night, Charles Barkley said, I'm too young to be playing pickleball. <laughs> so I was out there yesterday again, and I, I, I love it. It is, uh, it. It's something that I use to balance me out. It allows me to stay active, uh, to be competitive, and I have a lot of fun doing it, playing with a lot of my friends and even my wife. But when I do play with my wife, we can never be on the same team. When we're partners out there, it just never goes well. So um, but I'm ready, man. I could have had stitches. I, I'd have been out there coaching my butt off the other night, and nothing's going to keep me down or my team down. Oh, no doubt. Listen, one quick follow. Like, I know, knowing you, as competitive and as fierce as you are, I know you were just looking to make a play, or in this case, a shot, but was it a case where communication maybe was not at a premium? Is that what happened? Well, you know, it's really, you know, I feel like such a hypocrite because we always talk about what our players you know, you want to be a good defensive team, you have to communicate. And, uh, you know, you got you got to talk. We always say early, loud, and continuous. Well, on the pickleball court, if there is not any communication, it is a lot more physical than people realize. And uh, that's exactly what happened. So, obviously, you got to talk out there, no matter what sport you're playing, to avoid any kind of those incidents. Again, I don't want to belabor this, but who smacked you like that, Michael? That It couldn't have been the wife. It had to have been somebody <laughs> no. else. Who caught you with that paddle? Yeah, you know, one of my uh, one of my buddies that I play with, I'm going to do him a favor and not mention his name because Fair. I don't want anybody going after him. I'm going, to, I'm going to protect him in the Denver, in the Rocky Mountain Empire. I don't want anybody going after him. Respect. That is fair. He's in his eighth year with the Nuggets, a two-time NBA All-Star Game head coach in 2019 this year as well. They're up on the Suns 2-0. Michael, I mean this sincerely. I always, always appreciate these conversations. I really appreciate our relationship. Appreciate it. And so good to have you on, especially this time of year, Michael. Thank you very, very much. Always, always, Jim. I appreciate you having me on as well. My best to your family and look forward to uh, the next time. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Listen, I don't play favorites. It's the last time I'm going to say that. I just don't. I don't play favorites. Of course, well, in a way, having said that, you know what that means. According to one of my favorites, one of my favorite dudes, Charles Barkley, as soon as I say that I don't play favorites, that means just one thing. I'm about to hype one of my favorites. Am I right, Chuck? Why are you laughing, Chuck? One of my favorite people is Jim Rome. Oh, okay. You know, he does this thing all the time where he says, he plays these tapes where somebody says, I mean, no disrespect. 
And you know what's coming next? Oh, disrespect. It just makes me laugh. He said, but to me, this, this game tonight is all about. They all knew. Everybody on that set knew. You know, when, when my guy, one of my favorite guys, Jim Rome, plays his tape about how there's no disrespect. You know what that means. Somebody's going to get disrespected. Just like when I say, I don't play favorites. I'm about to talk about one of my favorites. Like Chuck. Love Chuck. But he's right. Because I'm about to talk about my dude, Joel. A.K.A. the MVP. A.K.A. the dude that I backed for MVP. A.K.A. one of my favorite dudes ever in the association. A guy that I've been riding with since he was in college. You know, about five minutes after the first time he ever picked up a basketball. Honestly, find me a better story. Find me a better dude than the big fella. Truly, what's not to love about Joel Embiid and Joel's rise and Joel's story and Joel's personality? And when Joel goes Troel, it's all incredible. And it's also why he is deserving of the MVP. The voters got it right. And I'm clearly not the only one who thinks so because the alleged tightest, closest MVP race ever was not tight or close at all. He ends up ripping 73 of the 100 first place votes to rip that award in a landslide. And you know why he won in a landslide? Because he deserved to win in a landslide. I got to admit, I was actually moved. It got a little dusty up in my tower of hate last night. The tower of power where all the magic happens in my tower of hate. I got to admit, I got a little, little dusty watching Joel get a little dusty when he got the news from Chuck himself. Tonight, 2023 MVP from the Great moment. The Tower of Hate nearly became the Tower of Tears watching that. I mean, you might take this dude and his outrageous basketball journey for granted, but I sure as hell don't. This dude basically moved to the U.S. and picked up hoops at age 16. Didn't really even play basketball until he was 16. Four years later, he was the third overall pick in the draft. But that, of course, was just the beginning because he then missed the first two entire seasons of his NBA career due to injury. And then his team tried and succeeded at losing on purpose. So the odds that he would bounce back from all of that, two years on the bench, and losing on purpose, and putting a desperate, downtrodden franchise on his back, and trusting the process, and flipping that culture, and getting to a point where this guy could lead the NBA in scoring with over 33 a night on nearly 55% shooting. I mean, what are the odds of that guy pulling all of that off? Ridiculously long and seemingly impossible, and yet that's exactly what happened. And of course, Joel being Joel, after all of that said, yeah, we're going to celebrate this for five minutes and then get back to the main thing being the main thing. We're going to celebrate this after this interview for five minutes and then get back to focusing on the Larry O. We're going to celebrate for five minutes and then, you know, we're going back, you know, back to business. Uh, we got a serious win. Uh, I'm, I'm just so proud of, uh, you know, obviously winning, 
you know, yesterday, uh, that was a big one. And, you know, we got a few more coming. Uh, and I'm just so proud of them uh, to be able to make sure to give me some time to, you know, really allow me to heal and, you know, get back to myself and, you know, uh, and I'll be back. And, uh, you know, we got, we got more work to do. I'll be back. He went all Arnold with it. I'll be back. And he wasn't lying either. I'll be back. Although Ernie tried to ask him whether he'd be right for game two and he did not answer, this morning we get the answer. A major update from Shams. Shams tweets, after winning MVP last night, during a quick 76ers celebration, Joel Embiid turned to the team and said, quote, I'm back. I'll be back. The tweet continues, quote, Embiid is indeed on track to return tonight in Game 2 versus the Celtics, barring setbacks, sources tell, at The Athletic at Stadium. So if that's true, that's great news. Awesome news for the Sixers. The worst news ever for my fellow half-fam. But incredible news for Philly. They won Game 1, and they did so without their MVP, for their MVP, and now their MVP is coming back as the MVP. And again... Damn deserving, too, if you ask me. Hate to go against my half-fam, but business is business, and I did hit the big fella, and I'm taking the points in this one. You know, I always tell anybody, I say this to anybody who's willing to listen, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Of course, I didn't make that up, but I buy that. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail, and for Joel, this was all a part of the plan. Last night, he retweeted one of his own tweets from back in 2014 with the caption, spoke it into existence. This is why I love this guy. Back in 2014, when Joel was drafted, he tweeted a graphic of his own MVP rankings. Back in 2014, he has him as number one, LeBron number two, Kobe number three, And Chris Bosh, number four. And he got clowned big time for it because he was a college kid coming in and was mentioning his name along with those all-time greats. Haters thought that he had a better chance of being the next Greg Oden than an MVP. Back then, current net Spencer Dinwiddie called him a clown in a tweet. He said, quote, Joel, You're a clown, bro. LOL. Yeah, almost 10 years later, who's the clown now? Incredible journey. Bleeping legend, and he did speak it into existence. The guy didn't even start playing basketball until he was 16, and he's the best basketball player in the world, arguably. Amazing story. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. He is Frank Isola. Frank, it's been a minute. It's great to have you back. Frank, how are you? Yeah, 
I want to take you out. You've been doing this for a million years. You're still living out in Southern California. I'm walking around New York today with a winter coat on. You got, you got it made, Jim. I do, man. I can't lie to you, except if it'll make you feel better. I do live in California, and I'm walking around in a winter coat, too, and it's like 60, but that's how we are. You know how we are. We're soft like that. I hope you guys are miserable today. Yeah, right? <laughs> there you go. All right, we have reconnected with our guest, Frank Isola. Frank, thanks for fighting through that. You were talking about the Lakers and whether or not they are the team to beat if AD stays healthy. Can you finish that thought for me? Yeah, and, and I think, too, Jim, I think when you look at every team right now that's alive, it feels like you can make the case for them, and it's hard to believe that the Lakers, who, you know, at a time that we didn't know if they would make the play-in tournament, and here's Anthony Davis. He's played, I think it's now 19 or 20 straight games, and if he, he was a top 75, actually top 76. They added a player. And you're wondering, are we ever going to see that guy? We've seen him in the playoffs. We certainly saw him last night. Completely dominated the first half. And here was a key possession. Everyone talks about the Jordan Poole shot. When the game was tied, Steph Curry went into the lane. Anthony Davis rejected that shot. And maybe that's one of the reasons why the uh, Golden State Warriors settled for a three late as opposed to trying to get to the basket. Maybe Anthony Davis was doing such a good job there. He kind of turned turned them away. But if he's going to play like this and LeBron's going to be their second-best player, well, that kind of changes things for the Lakers. I think you're right, Frank. In fact, I know you are. That's exactly what I thought. The one play that stands out to me even more than that shot the pool misses, the one you referenced when Steph got into the paint and tried to finish, and then AD did what he did. I mean, he only had four blocks, Frank, but it felt like 30 because the guy changed every single shot, affected every single shot. Frank, let me get you to jump in on this because you do have an NBA MVP vote. The Jokic fans are beside themselves. They keep telling me, take that for data, take that for data. As I brought you back up, I said, why don't we go to the other end of the floor and talk about that data, too? Who did you vote for? Who do you think should have won? Yeah, you know, the last five years, I voted for the guy that won. I voted for Giannis those two years. I voted for uh, Jokic the next two years. And this year, I did vote for Embiid. I wish... Yeah, I wish that all three guys could have played in more games. You know, it was tough for me. I would have voted for Giannis if he had gotten closer to 70 games. He missed 19. And I don't think, I think you couldn't go wrong either way. But Embiid did average 33 points this season. He does get it done on the defensive end. And I also think that Jokic toward the end, I think he grew a little disinterested just in the whole conversation around the MVP, it became somewhat distasteful, like just how ugly it got. Because here's Jokic minding his own business. The guy just plays hard. He almost had a triple-double. Hey, Jim, think about this. There was on somebody, you know, 100 people vote. Jokic ended up with a total of 99 votes. That means that someone, forget about not voting him first, second, or third, someone didn't vote him fourth or fifth. Now, I don't know how you can make a case for not voting at least the guy fourth or fifth. He's the best player on the team that finished first in the Western Conference. He nearly averaged a triple-double. I have no problem with people in Denver being upset, but people in Philly would have been upset. Embiid, Embiid had a terrific year. I don't think, on my end, it was voter fatigue. If, again, if Giannis had played closer to 70 games with them having the best record, I probably would have voted him, but he, he missed 19 games. It's hard to vote for a guy that didn't play in 19 of his team's games. Agreed, Frank. The point you just made is a point that Michael Malone made on this show last hour, that the whole thing just got really distasteful in the end, and then he had nothing but praise for Joel. Frank, before you go, the Knicks did what they had to do. They evened up their series against the Heat, but they needed a fourth-quarter comeback. They needed big games from Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle to beat a Heat team that was without Jimmy Butler, and that had already beaten them once. How do the Knicks look to you right now? You know what? You sound like my radio partner, Brian Scalabrini, who didn't he, he didn't even criticize the Celtics for losing a game where Embiid didn't play. Now we're all like killing the Knicks because they won a game that wasn't you know by twenty or thirty points against a Miami team that didn't have Butler. Let's remember, uh, Julius Randle did not play in Game One. 
in game two, it took him a while to get going. It took Jalen Brunson a while to get going. I think it really tells you how well coached Miami is because here's all these undrafted players. You don't even know half their names, but they know how to play. They're organized. I think it took the Knicks a minute to kind of figure it out. But this series, to me, is still wide open because we do believe that Jimmy Butler will be back for game three, but we don't know, like, how his ankle's going to be. Yeah, five, an extra five days is certainly going to help him. You know, I was lucky enough to sit courtside for the first 24 playoff games between these two teams, between 97 and 2000, and it's amazing how intense and physical they are. This kind of reminds me of those series just because Tom Thibodeau was on Jeff Van Gundy's staff, Eric Spolstra was on Pat Riley's staff, so it definitely has kind of the DNA of those old Miami Heat-New York Knicks rivalries. I love, love this series. I love Scal. Tell Scal I said what's up. I, I love will. that. He is the best. Listen, before you go, what do you make, Frank, of the Grizzlies reportedly telling Dylan Brooks that he would not be resigned, quote, under any circumstances? Do you ever, if that's true, do you ever remember a team leaking something like that about a free agent? Well, maybe he shouldn't have gotten involved in that thing on the loading dock, and maybe he shouldn't have been brandishing a gun at a strip club in Toronto. Oh, wait, that wasn't him. That was his teammate. That's right. He, did, he didn't do something that bad. It, it's a little odd. I liked Dylan Brooks when he came into the league. I liked the fact that he was a fighter. He stood up for himself. But I thought he embarrassed himself this play. First of all, why are you going after LeBron James? You're not going to unnerve LeBron James by calling him old or thinking you could stare at him. Maybe Kevin Garnett could have done that 10 years ago. Dylan Brooks is not doing that. So that was a waste of time. Then you don't talk to the media Afterwards, clearly the Memphis Grizzlies are concerned about the culture of this franchise. They did finish second. Give them credit for that. But too many bad. They went from being a likable team to a really unlikable team. And I think Dylan Brooks was too worried about turning into a character. And then he blamed it on the media. You were the one doing it. So Dylan Brooks still has value in this league. But I think he kind of made himself uh, a punchline as opposed to a basketball player. And you're so right. So how much value? What do you think the market looks like for him as a free agent? Well, there's, there's 30 teams in the NBA, so there'll be somebody. And I think a lot of teams will like his competitive fire that he has and his ability to defend. But I also think that he has, you know, Dennis Rodman was Dennis Rodman, but he had accomplished a lot. He had already been a champion in Detroit. And he was pretty good by the time he came to the Chicago Bulls and became a character as well. It's still about being a player. So I think Dylan Brooks needs to get serious about his career. I think something like this will help. Somebody's going to pay him, and I still think his career is certainly salvageable. It's just very interesting, like to your point, that Memphis just took this stance and already telling the guy that you never really see anything like this. They've already telling the guy, you know, early May, late uh, April, that we don't want you back. Under any circumstances. He is a serious XM NBA radio host, Brooklyn Nets studio analyst for U.S. or Yes Network, panelist on ESPN's Around the Horn, and he is an all-time great when it comes to covering the Knicks. Frank, you are the best. I really appreciate whatever time we did get. Thanks so much. It's great to have you back on, Frank. Appreciate you. I apologize for the phone issue. Thanks, Jim. Not at all, Frank. You're the best. You too. I want to talk about the Jets. I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers. I hope all of you had your fun on social this morning clowning the newest New York Jets signing, Randall Cobb. Hope you enjoyed thumbing out your find someone who loves you the way Aaron loves Randall Cobb tweets. Really original. I'm sure you were the only one who had that. Or this one's even better. Aaron never had weapons in Green Bay. I'm glad that he escaped to New York so he could throw to, check notes, Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb. Another great one. <laughs> I mean, they might seem like clever takes, but they're actually pretty terrible takes. 
And the Randall Cobb signing is much ado about nothing. Much ado about a glorified assistant coach who can provide some third down support and some depth, can help mentor the younger guys, knows Aaron, knows the system they're going to run. They didn't bring this guy in to catch 100 passes. They didn't bring this guy in to take all of Garrett Wilson's touches. Obviously. I mean, you know who the Jets' actual slot receiver is? I'll give you a second. Oh, wait. That's right. McCall Hardman. That sounds like a pretty damn good target to me. Do you know who Aaron's actual number one target is? We do know. The Offensive Rookie of the Year, Garrett Wilson. A player that Aaron himself is already comping to the best receiver that Aaron ever played with, the other number 17, Devontae Adams. Here's what he was doing. Here's what he was saying with Pat McAfee yesterday. Obviously, Garrett, you know, he's a talented guy. And then it's, it's uh, threw him a pass today and just kind of turned and was like, wow. That was his, his ability to kind of get in and out of his break. Because there's another 17 I played with for a long time who does it better than anybody. Yeah. And uh, But the explosiveness in and out of the breaks uh, to 17 here is, uh, is pretty similar. The guy is not going diva. This is not a part of his wish list or demand list. He's not going to rely on Randall Cobb in any truly meaningful way this season other than veteran support, a guy that he's very close to, that he's gone to battle with, that knows the offense. But unfortunately for you, hot takers, social media cesspoolers, You know, there's nothing, unfortunately for you, that you can do to ruin the vibes in New York right now. There's nothing any of you trolls can do or meme or gif to harsh Aaron's buzz right now. The only thing I don't know is who's actually happier, Jets fan or Aaron himself, because both seem pretty ecstatic right now. I mean... I mean, I mean this, too. Nobody has ever been this happy to be a New York Jet. Find me a New York Jet who was ever this happy to be a New York Jet. I'm thinking. I can't think of anybody. I can't remember anybody this happy to be a Jet. I'm not sure I can think of anybody this happy. I mean, look at this dude. I have never seen him look so happy. And I know, Packer fan, that just pisses you off. But it's been nine days since that trade... And I haven't seen this dude stop smiling for even one second. He said out loud on the McAfee show yesterday that he has to keep pinching himself to believe that it's all real. Pinching himself to believe that he's actually a New York Jet. I mean, I'm not making it up. Who could possibly make it up? Who has ever said, I have to pinch myself to find out whether or not it's real that I'm a New York Jet? Has anybody ever said that? Everything's new and exciting and fun. Uh, I'm just pinching myself a lot of days. Just I, I can't believe uh, you know it's real sometimes. So it's been it's been a dream for sure. Uh, just to be here, uh, definitely feel energized uh, to be in the building. That takes nothing away from the 18 beautiful years I spent in Green Bay. I mean, that was, like, how can you ask for any uh, anything better than that? And, and just such a special place to play. Um, but. Yeah, 18 years, the same spot. You also get used to everything, and everything is just kind of the same old, same old in a lot of ways, which has its beauty for sure. But with everything being new and embracing the change and, and the, just the things that maybe aren't as comfortable as they used to be, it's been a lot of fun. 
I'll ask once again, when was the last time you ever saw anybody that happy to be a New York Jet? Ever? And not only that, I can't believe how quickly he has won over New York City. This dude could not have played that arrival in that town any better. Randy Johnson back in the day couldn't have played it any worse. But Aaron couldn't have played it any better. Or if you want, none of that. None of that. But if you want a better comparison, a better comp, a better analogy, compare Aaron's arrival, because the whole thing is just so weird and ironic, but compare Aaron's arrival to Brett Favre's arrival in New York a decade and a half ago. I remember it like it was yesterday. And it was nothing like this. All of this angst about Aaron and the New York City media. And meanwhile, Aaron is working the New York City media. And although he hasn't played yet, right now he's got them eating out of the palm of his hand. How about Favre? Remember when Favre showed up? Remember how Favre handled the New York City media when he showed up? Remember he started slinging texts of his junk at the New York media? That's how. Yeah, granted, Aaron hasn't played yet. Granted, nobody's coming for him yet. But even before he played a game for the Jets, the text slinger was slinging texts. So if you want a comp, there's your comp. That's how Brett adjusted to life in New York City. You know, it's taken Aaron like nine days to turn into Broadway Joe 2.0. And yes, I understand. He has to back it up on the field. But for right now, the vibes are immaculate. And I don't know how they could be any better. Aaron's showing up. Aaron is ecstatic. Jet fan is jubilant. And no amount of social media clowning is going to sober up either of these two anytime soon. And who the hell cares that he wants Randall Cobb? That's not hurting anybody or anything. It's just giving some social media no-lifers something else to do until the next thing. Who gives a damn? Randall Cobb's not making it worse. Believe that. But y'all need something, right? 1-800-636-8686. I'll tell you something else. When they bring in my guy Mercedes Lewis next week, I'm going to have the exact same take. I'm going to tell you that right now. And Jordy Nelson, who was trending on Twitter this morning for this very reason. I'm going to have the same exact take. Just wait. Hey, Jets fan, you tell me. How do you feel about things? Better than ever. Never better if you're a Jets fan. Good night now!